Hello and welcome to your favorite crossover podcast, Army of Crime. I am your host, Matt, and I'm here with my second host, Dustin. Dustin, say hello to the people. Bonjour. So this episode, we are looking at the movie Coraline and the French comic Flight of the Raven. I believe that's accurate. Yes. Yes. For today's annoying pre-show banter, I'm going to ask you what the most bizarre movie ever made was, and then I'm going to give you the correct answer. Oh, boy. The most bizarre movie ever made. I'm going to propose perhaps the Czech art film Sweet Movie, uh, which contains a lot of uh, bizarre surrealist adventures. Though in terms of mainstream studio films, I might suggest Orson Welles' The Lady from Shanghai. Okay. The correct answer is B-Movie, starring Jerry Steinfeld. Okay. Yeah, I guess I missed that. Yeah. There's a movie where a small bee played by Jerry Seinfeld is in a romantic relationship with an adult woman played by Renee Zellweger. Uh, have you seen this movie? Have I seen the movies that you talked about? No, but I have seen B-Movie. Okay. There's a part where Jerry Seinfeld, as a bee, cross-examines Ray Liotta, played by himself, in a court, in a court, uh, court case. Is Jerry Seinfeld the bee lawyer? I guess. Okay, it doesn't sound like you paid close attention to the plot. I mean, of this it, film. it doesn't. It doesn't really explain it all that much. I think they're both lawyers. His friend is played by Matthew Broderick. I think they're both lawyers. And then Jerry Seinfeld says, in reference to Ray Liotta, "That's not a good fella. That's a bad fella." I get it. That's a little reference to a yeah. This film is a movie that cost millions of dollars to make, and Jerry Seinfeld plays a bee. So I'll just I'll just leave that with you. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing we're looking at is a movie. It's also an animated movie. It does not have Jerry Seinfeld in it. This Which is the is movie to its detriment. Certainly. This is the movie Coraline. And if I were to ask some person on the street who directed the movie Nightmare Before Christmas, what do you think that they would say, assuming they didn't say leave me alone? you deranged weirdo what would they probably say uh like Wes craven because they get it confused with nightmare on elm street okay if they didn't say that what else would they say oh boy what, what i'm going for here is that a lot of people i believe i know i've corrected people before not like in a jerky way but they think that nightmare before christmas is directed by tim burton because we yeah. kind of think of it as like a Tim Burton property. But it is not. It was directed by Henry Selick, who has made several claymation movies. So he made Nightmare, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. He also made James and the Giant Peach. And then he made our film Coraline, which is, of course, an adaptation of a Neil Gaiman written short novel, which was also adapted into a comic. Isn't, didn't Tim Burton produce Nightmare Before Christmas? Right. He's the producer and sort of the concept guy who came up with the idea but henry selick is the is the claymation director okay i mean he's the director is what i'm saying i'm not he's not like there's two directors it's he's the director but and he's also very good at claymation okay i hear you so what is this Coraline about then so as i mentioned it's an adaptation of a short novel which was also adapted into a comic book written by neil gaiman and it is Sort of like Stephen King's It meets Alice in Wonderland would be my elevator pitch. So it's a little girl who they, they her family moves in this house and she finds a small door and the small door takes her into an alternate world. 
where there's like other versions of people who have creepily have buttons for eyeballs or buttons instead of eyes. And then things sort of escalate there into a dark fantasy adventure. This is sounding familiar as I just watched this a few days ago. Yes. One of the things that I think is interesting about Coraline from a story slash thematic perspective, and I have watched this movie like several times in the last couple of weeks because my son ended up wanting to watch it. And when you have a small child, you don't really watch a movie from beginning to end. You watch like chunks of it in like random order. But what I thought, I mean, it's not great, but such is the, the, the parent life. One of the things that I thought was interesting about Coraline is it's ostensibly a horror movie, but told from the perspective of a kid. So a lot of the things in it are things that a child's imagination might turn into some kind of frightening or like horror scenario. Like, for example, finding a small door. If you go into old houses, you know, sometimes you find weird doors in strange places. And the idea that this little door could take you to like an alternate world or like a nightmare world is like the kind of idea that a kid would come up with. And the idea that the other people have buttons for eyes, which makes them kind of resemble like life-size dolls. Again, I think the kind of idea that comes from it could come from a kid's mind, right? Like you're playing with dolls or you have like a doll family, but what if the doll family was alive or, or lived its own independent life, something like that. One of the things that I appreciated about the film Coraline as uh, a 34-year-old adult man who does not have children but is now watching a children's film was that I did not find there to be a lot of um, like moralizing in it because it kind of starts with Coraline and her parents are like busy with their careers and what have you and they're like sort of ignoring her and she's all like, why are my dumb parents ignoring me? And I was kind of expecting that to turn into, you know, a story about how her parents needed to pay more attention to their children and so on, which I feel like is something you see in a lot of children's movies where uh, the the ultimate message is that the parents need to stop worrying about how they're going to feed and clothe their children through their uh, wage labor, but instead should lavish attention on their children. And the fact that it doesn't really become that I thought was actually uh, much to its benefit. It's, it's like you said, it's primarily concerned with being a sort of horror fantasy adventure story. And it's not really concerned with trying to teach children like lessons about things. I mean, not that that isn't in there at all, but it definitely seems like the, it's more concerned with telling its own story and with sort of the visual creativity within that than with trying to teach you know, a lesson. Like we watched the movie Chicken Run and Chicken Run very much tries to teach like, you know, some basic like lessons or it has some basic like themes at heart about, you know, believing in yourself and all that garbage. So I appreciated that Coraline was more concerned with just like telling a story. Yeah. And one of the other things I thought was interesting, if you're talking about the parenting angle, so the parents are in it. And like you mentioned at the beginning, they're kind of ignoring her, but it doesn't turn into like it's the parents fault for ignoring her or some other kind of simple message. And I liked that the other mother who is ostensibly the villain, right? The other mother um, has this kind of relationship. That's like an abusive parent to a child because she lavishes attention on the kids 
and then at some point ends up neglecting and forgetting about them. So there's like an infatuation period, and then she kind of forgets about them and moves on. And there's a part at the end where the other mother, not at the exact end, but towards the end where the other mother says something to Coraline like, don't leave, I'll die without you. And like, she always tells her to like listen to your mother and stuff. It's kind of a relationship between an abusive parent and a child, but told through the lens of like a dark fantasy movie. Yeah, it's like the the Coraline gets kind of like what she wants, but then she realizes that having a parent who's like, you know, primarily focused on lavishing you with attention at all times is actually not good for anyone. And that, you know, maybe she might think that that's like what she wants, but in reality, that is extremely unhealthy and, and not good. Right, and we see the other kids that have been part of this process and they all eventually get discarded if we want to talk about some of the visuals the animation in it is great two of my favorite visual sequences is actually the very opening sequence where the other mother is creating the Coraline doll and like casting it into the future so it's like this sequence where they bring in this other doll and it all feels very weird and macabre but in a lot of ways it's just a doll right so we're just treating a doll the way that a doll would be treated which is to take out the stuffing and you know, put other kind of clothes and eyes on it. But there, there is kind of a horror movie element to it that makes it seem creepy. Like we imagine on some level that this is happening to a person, even though it is just happening to a doll. It's that kind of juxtaposition of children's elements and horror elements that I think make it kind of interesting. So that was one of my favorite sequences is the very opening sequence, which I then did not really understand until seeing the whole movie all the way through. I don't know if you caught that or you remember this sequence I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't get the full context, but then that doll appears in the movie shortly thereafter. Um, and the and doll that it starts as is one of the kids that she eventually meets. It's the doll of one of the previous children. Oh, okay, I didn't catch that then. Which is the great aunt of the kid that she meets, Wymie. Right. And then I also liked the the mouse the mouse circus when she's in the other world. Yeah, the, the the jumping mice are pretty astounding to watch. Yeah, and there's like even a POV shot of the jumping mice riding a ball down. So the the jumping mice circus was pretty cool. I like the effect when she goes when she goes through the other door and there's like this camera pullback. It looks like the thing they do in Vertigo where they like zoom in and pull out at the same time. Oh, yeah. Where the background shifts, but the foreground stays the same when she opens the door and, like, it, it, like, pulls all the way back. There's a lot of other interesting touches. Like, do you notice that the other mother, for example, and this is because I've ended up seeing this in bits and pieces a bunch of times, the other mother never eats food? Uh, no, I guess I did not notice that. Which because... made me think of how in ghost stories you, like, trick people or get people to eat food as, like, a, like a way of, like, drugging them or, like, getting them under your control. Because, you'll, yeah, you'll notice the other mother never eats food. She makes food, right? She's always cooking, but she never eats any of it. And then you kind of notice, too, that the other characters in that world are all made out of inanimate objects, like specific inanimate objects. Like the other father is a pumpkin, for example. I don't know if I noticed that either. Yeah, so there's a lot of fun, like, visual touches throughout. You know, it's it, I think when you're talking about that opening sequence, it shows how well this movie is suited to the form of stop-motion animation. Because, you know, the dolls and the characters themselves are sort of like of the same materials and of the same world. Whereas if this was like a live action film and you saw someone 
like stuffing a doll, it wouldn't have the same effect. But the fact that these like live action figures are essentially like dolls in and of themselves, like moving throughout this, you know, constructed world, I think like it um, shows that this was a good, I mean, I haven't read the original thing, but I think it just is a good demonstration that this is a good match of material to medium in terms of stop motion animation. And I was going to say, I also really enjoyed the, um, the jumping mice circus. That was uh, a pretty visually astounding uh, feat of like stop motion animation. And, you know, in general, I think like for me, I think the, the most fascinating parts of this film are when Coraline is exploring the nooks and crannies of the, you know, other world where there's like this, uh, garden and then she goes to the downstairs neighbors who are like the old actresses and then she goes to the upstairs neighbor where there's like the dancing mice like to me that was kind of like the most fascinating parts of this world where you get to see the visual imagination of all these like wild things and then I think once we sort of got around to this is a common thing once you sort of get around to the explanation and then how we're gonna stop it it kind of became like slightly less interesting to me though i will say that i was actually um kind of surprised at the fact that i did find myself like actually really getting into the story of this because i know i've previously said that i am dead inside instead of having an inner child so normally i'm like i don't understand how adults can watch children's movies but for the most part i found Coraline to be pretty effective. But like I said, they get around to explaining it. It kind of takes away some of the magic. So once we got into the full, like, here's what's going on and here's what we need to do going forward to, like, you know, resolve the plot and save the world or whatever, like, then it became a little bit, like, less interesting to me. But overall, I was surprised at how, you know, effective it was, not just in the wonderful animation but in the actual story itself i did like as the movie got closer to the climax the visual styling of the other world starts to evolve a bit and it becomes more insect based and of course the other mother sort of evolves into her other forms yeah and And i like that and that 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 switches it up a little because you think you know what the other world looks like and then you realize of course that it's mostly either constructs or you know um tricks or illusions of some kind yeah and the other the villain of the film is actually pretty effectively creepy yeah Um, it's the kind of thing i think that's almost more creepy to adults maybe because like my son was watching it and he was just kind of like oh okay whatever and then and then i'm watching and you're kind of thinking about the idea of like a spider that's like made out of needles is kind of unsettling yeah, and I mean, of being trapped in, like, a giant spider web with a giant spider who wants to, like, eat your soul. Yeah, and she's, like, literally made out of needles or sewing needles or something. Yeah. It seems to be the seems to be what she's made out of. I also liked the fact that... Well, I mean, if you just think about, like, taking out someone's eyes and replacing them with buttons or, like, literally sewing someone's mouth shut, which are things that in the film you know, it is not like a huge deal to literally do to like a stop motion doll figure. But when you think about them as characters and as people, like literally sewing someone's mouth shut is like pretty horrifying. Yeah. Or like you said, removing someone's eyeballs and putting in buttons instead. Yeah. 
is like a thing of like oh it's like a doll with eyes or like it's a stop motion figure with eyes but then when you actually think about it, yes it, it's actually uh somewhat horrifying yeah and there's moments like that too where there's a part in the film where she loses her parents and she has to like put herself to bed i mean i found that a little affecting as, maybe as a parent i guess dustin didn't care he's like oh whatever yeah i was like whatever i don't care i said i'm not a parent so i don't care said that out loud yeah to the movie in, in my empty apartment yeah so yeah i actually thought it was a it was a it was a really good movie um in the sense it's a dark fantasy it sort of definitely combines these childhood frightening things with more adult concepts of horror like we were kind of talking about in sort of an interesting little mixture and then of course the the animation is extremely well done and there's a lot of really great visual sequences with that yeah i sometimes find myself skeptical of the these children's films that seem to be beloved by adults as well but i thought that this one was actually pretty good uh maybe this is wrong but i recognize i was trying to find if the do you remember when the other father sings her a song at the I piano? Do, I do remember that. It sounded like They, they might, might Be, be Giants. Giant. Yes. I was trying to look up if, that's, if that actually was They Might Be Giants doing the song, and I couldn't really find it, but it might be. I don't know. Yeah, and unlike a lot of other children's films, too, there aren't a lot of like songs for no reason. There is a little yeah. sing, but it's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. so I thought, I thought Carol, Coral, I almost called it Caroline. Coraline yeah, you don't want to do that. was a very effective movie. Is this the best children's film that you've watched with your son that i've been exposed to by having kids it could be i mean the other candidates are are not real strong i don't want to like dump on kids movies that are legitimately meant to be watched by kids because obviously that's a very different audience you know i don't want to judge the success of a kids movie you know off of whether an adult finds it entertaining because i guess the audience intended audience is children i mean Coraline is an interesting example because i think it can be enjoyed equally by both children and adults for somewhat different reasons, which is a very hard balance to strike. And I think they do it successfully. I have yeah. seen a bunch of other, you know, kids movies that I wouldn't necessarily recommend to adults. But I mean, my, my son seems to like them. So I guess that makes them good movies, makes them good kids movies. I suppose he's the, the, the actual target audience. I thought of another good visual sequence when they're at the dinner table and the, the little gravy train comes out. Oh, yeah. I was thinking like that would be sweet to have a, a literal gravy train. Yeah. It's that stuff that also would not be as impressive as you say in live action. Something about it being in this sort of animation, the stop motion with like these little POV shots is yeah. Great. I was also a fan of the great Bobinski. Yeah. It's kind of fun with like this Russian acrobat character. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement. Goraline, it's good. Next, we are going to talk about a comic book entitled Flight of the Raven by Jean-Pierre Gibra. Is that accurate? Yes, that is correct. So, Matt, would you like to tell the people what this comic book is about? Flight of the Raven is a young woman who is caught up in the French resistance during the very tail end of the Second World War. If Canal was a... World War II resistance movie by way of Heart of Darkness and a descent into the underworld. And the movie I recommend with that, Army of Shadows, was sort of a World War II resistance story 
through the lens of a gangster movie. This is the story of a World War II, another World War II resistance movement told through a lens of slice of life and like an Italian neorealism almost because a lot of the major war events are happening in the background and the characters kind of learn about them through the news and it's not really concerned with grand heroic gestures. It's a lot of people just sort of trying to figure out what to do and looking for like the main plot is that she's trying to find her sister and we really don't know what happened to the sister. She may or may not have been arrested. To find that out, you have to read the companion volume. Oh, is there a sequel? Is this only what part of a thing? So there's a book, uh, yeah, called The Reprieve, which is starring the sister. Oh, okay. Uh, and this is, I think, was published afterwards and is starring the other sister. So he's written several or done several comics. Um, so this is like half of a story that was sort of referenced in this other book, which I didn't know until after I read it, and which you don't really need to know while reading it. Right. Um, though I would say that neo comparing it to an Italian neorealist film does not feel quite accurate to me because this is not like excessively like gritty kind of thing because for better or for worse it's it's definitely kind of like cheesecakey and it's very like pastorally beautiful in a way that i don't think is bad at all and it's probably the main appeal of this comic but it never really really truly feels like you're in some sort of like life or death struggle for life and for human dignity with like the, the jack boots on the throat kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. There's a romantic sense to it, and the art is this sort of realistic painted watercolor style. Like, there are crowd scenes that you could use for, like, postcards. Yeah, the art in this comic book is pretty astounding. I think it's just, like, so incredibly beautiful. Like, there's these pages that just have these scenes of Paris. Like there's a, in one part, she's hiding out on a boat, one of the barges in the Paris canals. And, you know, like scenes in like the French countryside and stuff. And it's, it's just so, you know, wonderful. And you mentioned it is in perhaps a bit of like a realist mode, but there's also you know, sort of like these moody, like watercolors and the lines or it can be sometimes, you know, somewhat loose, but, you know, the, the main character is, and I am, you know, 95% sure that this is not, well, no, let's say I'm completely sure that this is not an accident, that the main character is a beautiful young woman who always looks wonderful and whose uh, clothes occasionally come off. I was not surprised to find, to read in the afterword that this artist had previously worked in erotic uh, comic books yeah because there's definitely like i said a bit of like a cheesecake kind of thing going on with this like beautiful young woman in the french resistance which is not bad at all in fact i mean i think that the that the wonderful like warm like visual appeal of this like beautiful art is probably the main reason to read this as the story is like fine but even though it is like literally like a life and death story. And even when like the Germans are like right near her, like searching, it, it never really like gets the heart pumping as far as like somebody's could, could about to die, you know? Yeah. I guess that's where I was thinking of the 
the realism angle because the main characters, even though it is World War II resistance, um, the main characters are not like heroic figures. There's a lot of time spent of them just kind of like waiting around to see what's going to happen, which is probably a more realistic view of what being on the run from the Germans is like, right? Because you're not shooting it out with them and like stashing their bodies. It's a lot of just waiting around to see if the police are going to come find you sort of a thing. Yeah, and like leaving messages for other people and, you know, trying to meet people in public and seeing if they show up and then trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's it's definitely not aiming for like a, you know, like action-y, like badass kind of thing. It's more, you know, quotidian, like day-to-day. Um, yeah, slice of life to some degree, as you mentioned, the sort of soft focus art. Yeah, there's definitely like a sort of slice of life quality as, you know, there's a big chunk of the book where she's hiding out on this barge and you do get a sense of like the day-to-day life of like a, you know, this like family that lives on this like barge in the French canals. Did you like the comic book, The Flight of the Raven? I did like it. I thought one of the, one of the other things that was interesting was the idea that they're in the resistance, but like I said, they're not really heroic. They're just kind of trying to avoid the police. And the Allied bombing campaigns are, in fact, quite dangerous, even for people who are opposed to the Germans, right? Because you've got planes and bombs and machine guns and stuff. So it's kind of a dangerous, chaotic time, which is probably what it would have been like to be in you know, an occupied area. Like, you're excited for the Allies to come, but they're they're bombing things there's fires there's a part where there's a plane with uh machine gunning they get strafed by some english fighter planes it's a perspective very specifically of like a ground level french perspective and not any other perspective there's no perspective towards the other allies or from the germans or anything like that in fact there's really no german characters the only german character is a soldier who's in the german army who is from I believe he's from Alsace-Lorraine, meaning he is ostensibly German, but he, when he was growing up, it would have been part of France. But that's ethnically close, German. Right. That's the closest thing to like a German soldier we have. I mean, he is a German soldier, but um, even in that, it's like a French-German soldier or Franco-German, if that's a thing. But didn't you just want to like in these like scenes of Paris and the French countryside, didn't you want to just like step into them and walk around? Yeah, even Take though a it's like nap under a tree, even though it's like under occupation by the fascist army. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is looking through this, I feel like you can almost read this without the text. I feel like you could basically remove all of the text from the story. And that's not meant to be a slight on the story. I think it shows you both how good the art is and how effective it is to actually telling the story like I don't know. Would you agree? I think you could literally erase all the captions from this and still basically read it and get the effect of it and still understand more or less what's happening. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. And in kind of the best way, in the sense that uh, Jean-Pierre Gibra or JPG, as his friends may very well call him, is a really beautiful artist in, in like you know, you get the sense from like the acting and the facial expressions of the characters and the designs of the characters exactly like who they are and what's going on. 
on like every page. It's pretty, and it's like a, on a visual level, which I suppose is the primary level that a comic book operates on. It's, I think it's a pretty astounding piece of work. Like right here, I'm looking at an, uh, a half page depiction of this barge on the canal. And like, you can see this reflection in the water of these buildings and you know the watercolors of the buildings and that are kind of like impressionistic and there's some trees and shadows and it's just it's just so god dang pretty is what it is yeah no the art is beautiful and like you said there's a beautiful dare i say sexy lady as the main character which yeah. is meant to be part of the charm right right it's like this beautiful young girl who's actually a communist in the resistance yeah and the, the story starts with her in prison and then this other guy is in prison and then they escape and are like hiding out. But it's interesting because she's almost somewhat of a passive character, at least in the first half, because she like hurts her ankle. So, you know, the classic like feminine injury in a, in a story is the, the twisted ankle. So she's like sort of partially incapacitated. And I don't know that it ever really hurts the story because as we were kind of saying this is not like a story about heroic like badasses single-handedly holding off the german army it's a story of a couple people in paris right before it gets liberated hiding out from the crowds on a barge that's floating slowly down the river and sometimes being sexy while doing it yeah yeah i thought it was good i think the art is definitely the strong point like i said you could basically look through it without even reading the captions and gain an appreciation for, I think, everything that's happening here, both in the terms of the the depictions and the and the, just the storytelling. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. But, I mean, I definitely think this comic is worth picking up. I was not familiar with this guy's other work, um, including his erotic version of Pinocchio which I have not read and probably won't read, but I definitely think like some of his other war comics would be sort of fascinating to pick up. I mean, this is a case where I think the, the visual beauty and the visual styling in, you know, in all ways from like the soft focus pastoral beauty of the settings to the character designs and the, what you, what you could call the acting of the characters themselves is also wonderfully like rendered and so you know powerful in telling the story that like you said the actual pro styling at hand is is fine and it's enough to you know to carry you along and even though the story will never get your like blood pumping for you know life or death for the life or death stakes i think it's still really uh really a really wonderful little book don't you think matt oh i agree i felt there is a scene where the German soldier is trying to attack her. I felt that was a little weird. That that was definitely a little like cheesecakey where she's like her like shirt is open. Yeah, I felt I felt that was a little unnecessary. A yeah, little, that, a little that that made me feel a little uh a little icky. It, that it there was yeah, that sequence I think kind of veers a little maybe a little over the line into like pervy which is, it kind of seems like it's always, <laughs> perhaps, like, always threatening to do. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I mean, the that sort of, like, you know, cheesecakey, beautiful lady drawings is definitely part of 
what's going on here and is part of the appeal. And that scene is maybe where it goes a little bit too far in indulging that. I guess my last thought would just be that it makes a very interesting counterpoint to something like Canal that we watched a couple weeks ago, both about World War II resistance fighters. Very different types of story because Canal is like this heart of darkness descent into the underworld where trudging through chest waste human sewage to escape the people trying to incinerate everyone. Whereas this, this is like, what if you were a beautiful lady hiding out in gay Paris? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, two things could not share a subject matter and be more diametrically opposite in terms of approach. Because Canal is literally like, we're all going to die and we're in hell. And this is like, not that at all. Like, we're in heaven and, you know, we might die, but it sure is pretty out here. I guess there's still a threat of death, but you never really, like, I never really really felt like the life or death stakes in this comic. But I wasn't necessarily bothered by that because I had such a pleasant time reading it. Yeah. Better to die in Paris than live in the Polish sewers, I guess. Yeah, that's probably, that might be fair to say. I know which place I would rather go on a vacation to. Right. Well, do you have a recommendation for us this week, Mr. Dustin? For a recommendation, I might mention another stop-motion animated film that is done by, well, actually, maybe two stop-motion animated films. One that came out a few years ago, which I really love, is called Anomalisa, and it is written and co-directed by Charlie Kaufman, and it is about basically a guy who's at like a work conference and I won't really like spoil it, but he then undergoes this sort of like existential crisis. And it's it's definitely not like a animated film for children. It's very much like this serious, you know, examination of like, uh, you know, the meaning of life in this one like sort of character's worldview. But it's, I thought it was uh, pretty amazing. But there's another film made by the same studio that did Coraline, Leica, and they've done quite a few really good stop-motion animated films. The one they did a while ago called Kubo and the Two Strings I thought was really fun. It's kind of set in the Japanese countryside, and it's about this little boy who has to go off on this adventure, but it has a lot of like really wonderful character designs. Like There's a giant stop-motion dragon with all these like moving parts, and these other kind of characters, like a giant beetle and stuff. It's in the it's definitely less of like a you know deeper like horror fantasy kind of thing like Coraline and more of just like a rollicking adventure but it's got a lot of you know really wonderful characters and stuff it's you know it's pretty good time I enjoyed it what about you Matt you know my recommendation for this is another movie this is a live action movie that is adapted from a Neil Gaiman comic which has Robert De Niro as a cross-dressing pirate captain. Have you seen this movie? Do you know what movie I'm talking about? I have this seen this movie. It's called Stardust. Yeah. I was going to recommend that as a uh, another adaptation, another good adaptation, I think, of you know, Gaiman. It has been a while since I've seen it. It just kind of made me think of it while watching Coraline. And I don't know enough about classy European comics to recommend something that ties into that better because I'm uncultured and uneducated. How many... Degrees do you have? 
Well, technically I have two, but they're both bachelors, so I don't think that adds up to anything. That just means that I should have only gone to college once for the first time. Don't you have a bachelor's in philosophy and film studies and a teaching degree? Yeah. Okay. So you're not uneducated, you're just uncultured. I'm uncultured in fancy pants European comics, which we also discussed when we watched Equinoxes, or read Equinoxes. That's true. It's a big, wide world out there. Yeah. And sometimes there are films adapted from Neil Gaiman, and I guess there's nothing we can do about that. Well, that, that's the through line there. See, I, need, I wanted a through line for the recommendation. No, no, I got it. I yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I remember being okay. It's a Matthew Vaughn film. He's kind of a schmuck, in my opinion, but... Yeah, I don't know if he's ever done anything that I would consider super great. But, hey, Stardust's better than a kick in the teeth. It's better than getting run over by a pack of wild buffalo. You don't have to say that again. Well, that is technically our show. Thank God. It's over. Finally over with. We are on the internet at armyofcrime.com. I am on Twitter at armyofcrime. Dustin is at Dustin with a bunch of fours. Yes. It's at uh, D-U-S-T-I-N 44444. Okay. That's very solid and easy to remember. I mean, I don't know. It's It's stupid. I agree. Leave us a review on whatever app you're using. So if you're listening right now, and you are, if you can hear this, you can leave us a five-star review. Uh, Shoot us any comments on Twitter or on the website if you want to tell me how dumb and uneducated I am. If you want to recommend me more European comics, you could feel free. I'm sure Dustin could as well. But it is a gaping hole in my comics knowledge that I am aware of. Gross. Remember, kids, no matter how nice they seem, don't let anyone take out your eyeballs and replace them with buttons. Viva la resistance. Viva la resistance.